Hello, I'm Rachel England and welcome to Brain Yapping, the podcast where comedian and actual qualified neuroscientist Dr. Dean Burnett gets put through his paces with brain-related questions by me, not a neuroscientist, without any advance warning or prior preparation, in a bid to demonstrate that science isn't always as slick as it seems. Hi, Dean. Hi, Rachel. How's it going? I'm good. Good stuff. Good. good. 15 minutes has it been? No, not even that. Seven, I think. Seven minutes since yeah. we last did this. Yeah, yeah. Which a... is uh, remarkably close to time than previous when it was several weeks. Yes, months, yes. Even. A good best part of two months. Good uh, to have a schedule, isn't it? Good yes, routine. Yeah. Yes, like fits and starts. Yeah. I will say to any listeners, if there's any sort of... Uh, the last episode we recorded is all about annoying noises. So if you hear that vague background clicky noise, that's actually the rain this time, which I... I don't have any problem with the rain, just no, so we're but, clear. But I'm not regardless, about to go and like, kick a table over because of... <laughs> I can do nothing about it, literally, even elements. if you did. That's that's sort of the problem there. We're talking meteorological concerns. This is literally an act of God. I will in, take in it up with God terms. if yes. it gets on my nerves. Yeah. Okay. So, um, sorry, yeah, you were saying, if anyone uh, listened to our last podcast and would like to chime in with things that they find very stressful to hear or yes. listen to or words like yeah. tummy. Yes. Please I mean, get in touch. We'd love to hear about them. Even even then, even I know the full context, that was annoying to hear you say that, but yeah. even I wasn't annoyed at you, just the word itself. Just the existence. Of yeah. The that, that actually was uh, aggravating. Yeah. Okay. Well, similar topic today, okay. aggravation. Oh, good, I suppose. Irritability. We're going to talk about the concept of being hangry. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that is very relevant to me and to lots of people i know mm. um and it's a i think it's a word that sort of only really became mainstream in the last couple of years or so but yeah. it's certainly a phenomenon that's always existed oh definitely yeah which is when i'm hungry i become super irritable yes my tolerance for anything just <laughs> yeah. goes way way down and god help anyone that comes at me with some stupid crisis mm. If I have low blood sugar, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's fairly common. I think I did an article about this many years ago, which I can't remember. So things might bob to the surface as we're discussing it. But, okay. but yeah, it's definitely a thing. It's um, I've been asked about this, not this particular word or this particular phenomenon, but the general area a lot in the past two months because I did the book, The Happy Brain. And one thing a lot of media people are really keen to talk about now is the connection between you know gut and your brain the, the, the gut brain access uh, as it's known gut, in, is it yeah, the gut the gut brain access gut bra- yeah, yeah. What's, it, what's it gut health and it's your, your yeah your your your, your biome and your uh, yeah your glucose these are all uh all valid terms mm. it seems to be an in thing it seems to be currently trendy or at least it was a few months ago okay i don't know how long trends last if it lasts more than a year is it not a trend is it just a thing now it's just yeah yeah it's, it's, just, just, it's, it's just become it's just life now yeah. which is fine yeah, like really, kale. Yeah. <laughs> An avocado toast. Yeah. So a friend of ours of allotment, they gave us some kale they'd grown themselves. And I thought, I'm very grateful, but I have literally no idea what to do with this. I what what do you do with kale? I can actually help you here, and I, I ordinarily wouldn't have a clue how to sort of contribute to any conversation about food trends. Um <clears throat> you can fry it. Okay. Just a tiny bit of oil and just fry it up, makes it real nice and crispy. Bit of salt. And they're, it's like kind of like weird crisps. Oh, does it have any resemblance to that crispy seaweed you get in Chinese yeah, takeaways? kind of like that, that. Well, I like that stuff, so that's probably worth doing. And so you can just sit there and munch handfles of it and be like, it's health, even though it's like <laughs> it's salt and oil. <laughs> but you know, most snacks are a way to get salt into your body. Yeah. So convenience. But yeah, the um, 
the idea that what you eat affects your mood, mm. um, it does make perfect sense when you think about it. I mean, there is so much going on that just it's, it's sort of logical. Like it's it's almost similar to the whole exercise improves your mental health thing because if your body's in better shape, then your brain has a better support system, so it can do more stuff. Sure, but yeah, the. Well, like blood sugar is a, is a known thing in that like I've, I have several friends who are diabetic and they can feel like when their blood sugar is dropping and they feel uh, you know they feel the mood changes. But why it, why is that? Is that because the brain just not getting the resources it needs and so it can't it doesn't have its like defense mechanisms up so things are more irritating or yeah I think there's probably a big part of that in like the the connection between what's going on in the body and how the brain reacts to it is a lot that's a big area of research now like I recently heard. I came across the theory that depression is evolved to be technically a good thing in that it's not a problem in the brain. It's doing it on purpose mm. uh, because of when something bad happens to you in the wild, like you need time to, for your body to convalesce and recover. Therefore, a low mood, which doesn't motivate you to do anything, would be beneficial. Gives so, you the opportunity. Yeah. To- so if you're not a thinking creature, then having a low mood and keeping you subdued yeah, yeah. would be more helpful there's a lot to unpack there I'm not sure that's necessarily automatically correct and like the link between mood and the immune response that's a big part of depression too like have we evolved to the point where if we're stressed about something does our immune system kick in mm. so all these things affect how the brain works and how it, uh, how, it, how it affects us but like the brain's really really sensitive to blood sugar uh, like the brain only runs on glucose mm. like a lot of the other organs of the body have different like amino acids, fats, and stuff. We can use other f- power energy sources. The brain is almost like very picky. It only runs on glucose, the body's jet fuel, essentially, the most efficient fuel. Yeah, you can argue that the biochemistry is different, but that's always my understanding. So when we have low blood sugar, then that sort of, at an instinctive level, so the brain sort of starts getting worried and panicked. Okay. So, like, I haven't got enough blood sugar. I don't have time to waste nonsense until I get more blood sugar. So, that would make sense. Like it's a oh, sense I of see, right. like yeah, I, I haven't eaten in a long time, and therefore I do not have time for your trivial questions. Yeah, customer or yep. family member or or partner when we're trying to choose a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. We'll eat anywhere. Yeah. Oh god, I've had that. Yeah, that is really just like come on now. Like my my in laws, God bless them. They are indecisive people, or they are decisive, but all four of them will make different decisions. Simultaneously, okay. and no one will take charge. They say, can't cohesively make a decision. No, say, well, I don't. Everyone's like, well, I don't mind. I don't care either way. Like, I'm like, I care. I'm hungry. We're going in here, guys. And oh, it looks like somebody like too, too many generals, not enough sergeants. Someone actually yeah, get yeah, stuff yeah, done. Yeah. So that, that that is again, it's annoying in its own right because it's all uncertainty and then chaos and stuff. But it, when you are hungry, it tends to make you very twitchy about such things. But then it's uh, you know it's when you are in that state. How long does it take you to get back to an even keel? Like, do you have to talk like it's like half an hour after you eat, or is it straight away? Or? Oh, almost immediately. Yeah, I find that as well. So, it's like- and I, I don't know whether it's so much that you know, I say I'm, I'm getting hungry and I get a snack and I'm eating it, and immediately my mood improves. Now, obviously, it takes a while for the food to be digested and for its yeah. nutrients to disperse, or whatever. So I wonder how much of it is, is just the kind of the psycho- psychological um, effect of being, oh, okay, I'm eating now. Mm. Soon my woes will be over. And that helps to actually mitigate a lot of it rather than it actually being a physical reaction to the food that I'm digesting. Yeah, well, that's actually a really intri- intriguing one. 
in terms of how we eat and what we eat is far more dependent on our perception of it than the actual biology of digested food. Because mm. and, and, and antidepressants, like with, for, for ages, they were thought to just be boosting your, your neurotransmitter levels, but turns out it's more than that because they do that pretty much straight away. You ingest antidepressants. It's a, it, it, it's like 10 minutes, perhaps. Like, you know, it takes to get into your body to have the effect they're meant to, they're meant to have. But the benefits of antidepressants don't kick in for like two to three weeks. Yeah. And that's why, well, it's clearly not just boosting transmitter levels. It's something else in further downstream which is happening. But it's the same thing with food. Like, I've I've had similar things. Like, I, I've, I've always struggled to eat breakfast. I don't, mm. you know, a lot of people think it's the most important meal of the day, which I think is nonsense. I think cereals invented that claim. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wake up, I don't eat well in the mornings. I just like, I'll, I find it hard to do. That means around lunchtime, Unlike the rest of my family who will have their porridge or their cereal or their toast, I'm a bit more hangry than they are. Yeah. <laughs> so, come on, kids, it's got to sit down. And start, pick a place. Eat, like, eat yeah, your yogurt. Yes, yeah. come on. So, I'm a bit more twitchy like that. But I find the same thing. Like, just like I've eaten something now. Oh, I'm eating. It's okay now. Therefore, zoom, back to... Do you think that's like an evolutionary thing? That, as you were saying before about the brain sort of operates on glucose. And so... When you feel like you're low on that, your brain starts going, okay, when am I going to get this again? You start basically panicking, like, where's where's the food coming from? Yeah. How will I survive? Mm. And then as soon as the food is presented to you, you're like, okay, even though I haven't actually consumed this food yet and I haven't actually got the glucose to the brain, the fact is, is I know the food is here and that actually mitigates a lot of the stress. And it's like a, a, an, an instinct, an evolution. Yeah, I, I bet there is a big part of that, like the deeper underlying level, which I act purely on sensation and emotion and current situation mm. will be a case of i'm hungry that means there is no food that's bad that that can kill you yeah but then suddenly oh there is food now like stand down everyone so what are the differences then between individuals that affect the way that they are uh or the way that they experience hunger for example when i'm hungry i get irritable and i'm cross and i don't lose my temper so much as i am snippy with mm. people or can be. Um, yeah, there are people who could be starving, mm. like, you know, haven't eaten all day. Fine. No issue. Yeah. No temperament change. And then, of course, there are people who, you know, haven't eaten for maybe an hour and they're going on a murderous rampage, <laughs> flipping tables and <laughs> screaming at their partners. Yeah. So what affects the differences that people experience? Well, I guess it depends on how much food you're actually used to or how much you expect. Because okay. obviously we're in a, we're the Western world, at least, with our developed society it's like the first time in human civilization outside of a few aristocrats where food is abundant. Mm. Like I said, it's weird now. We live in a world where we can summon food at a button push. Like we get an app, just the Just Eat app or the whatever takeaway app, you just press a button, right, food will be here in 20 minutes. That's just weird. Yeah. We're not We're not meant, we haven't evolved for that. We are, first off, we, we've technically, you know, lots of studies which show that the human brain has arguably evolved to binge eat. Okay. Because you can sort of see how that would work. When if you think of it, always think of it in terms of if you're in the wild and you're like a primitive creature, food is scarce, food is hard to get. You find an abundant food source, like you know, if you're a carrion eater, the fallen carcass, or you just take down a big or find a huge bush full of berries. You could eat your fill, as in I'm not hungry anymore, but I'm not going to find one of these again. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take in as many calories as I can in one sitting. Mm. Bulk up my fat stores, like and then I, I'll, yeah, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. <laughs> Obviously a bear, why not? Well, that's what they do, isn't it? They, yeah, they yeah. spend the whole summer or, or whatever it is. Yeah, like, like packing on full and, of, yeah. yeah. So like, we don't hibernate, but we do build up our resources because food, you know, for, for leaner periods. And 
And then you can sort of see when it's lean, like if you're a bit more angry, angry motivates you to do stuff. It is something which happens in the brain. There are two separate motivation systems, approach and avoid. Hmm. So like either there's a problem in front of me, I'm confronted by an issue. Do I tackle it, deal with it, or do I give it a wide berth, hope it goes away? And when you're angry, the one which makes you deal with things is far more influential. It's like a lot more, a lot more active. It's like people who are su- supremely angry will like pick fights with someone 10 times their size or like, like you get your car, go to hell, you'd scream. You wouldn't normally do that. No. You'd almost completely lose the ability to recognise risk as, as you normally would. Sure. Um, so like obviously when you're hungry, then you need, you need, to, you need to fix that. So anger is a good motivation to, to encourage because it makes it like, I, I could just sit here and wait for food to arrive, which never happens in the, in, in, in the natural world. Or like, oh, I've got to get something to eat. Just get up and storm out. Like, so that is an instinctive advantage there. Okay. But with the individuals, like, it depends how much food you're used to, how much you, calories you take in, how many, you know, what sort of body you have, which, what it depends on. I mean, if you look, watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they make lots of jokes about Terry Crews needing like 10 hams a day and stuff yeah. <laughs> because he's just a goliath of a man with nothing but pure muscle to, to fuel which needs a lot of calories and there are restaurants in like along all the beachfronts in america which cater to nothing but bodybuilders who work, work yes. out there when i was in la yeah. um they've got muscle beach i yeah. remember walking down and um yeah restaurants that just have obscene yeah. sizes yeah. of dishes cow on a plate um, discount yeah, two for one for most mortals would just be ridiculous but for these bodybuilders it's just like a regular meal yeah I remember so. watching um, World's Strongest Man over Christmas as you do mm. and um, Ed Hall I do actually yes yeah. <laughs> I just realised it's that. a tradition isn't yeah. it yeah really um, when you sit on the sofa shoving celebrations into your mouth judging yeah. people <clears throat> at the peak of their physical physical performance <laughs> um, but yeah Ed Hall and um, looking at his Instagram and him sort of talking about what he eats Mm. in a day you say christ that would kill me you know i Easily, like to yeah. eat but that would kill me but yes yeah, so you're right obviously it's what yeah. your body becomes accustomed to but it's also a lot of a huge part of his habit as well in that i say diets are hard because you quickly adapt to expect food at certain times like right. i used to walk to work from here when i worked for the local hospital and there's a shop along the way and i was like okay so it's nipping all the way in because i don't have breakfast so i get to work it's like 10 to 9 it's early, early now because i you know work and stuff Got like a flapjack or something, or something very instant and mundane. Mm. And we just got to the point where, if I'd just eaten in work, and like I, if I'd leave early, I'd walk past the shop and I'd start feeling hungry again, even though I'd just eaten like half an hour earlier. Mm. And so, like our perception of what we've eaten, our idea of it is a lot more powerful than people seem to realise. Such as one of my particular favourite um, factoids about the brain stuff that people with anterograde amnesia the inability to form new memories, like in Memento, mm. they, in, in wars, they tend to gain a lot of weight because they eat their lunch and then have no memory of eating it and then still think they're hungry. Okay. Even though the food's actually there. Like, physically, the food is sat in their stomachs right now. It's been five minutes, perhaps. But they're thinking, I've but, not yeah. had lunch. Yeah, they, so they don't remember it. Therefore, the brain overrules, like, the brain overrules the digestive system so often. It can do that. It's really weird. Like That's th- yeah. interesting, actually. You mentioned earlier how you don't tend to eat breakfast. Yeah. I'm the same working from home. I can get up and I can do my work and I won't actually think about eating until say midday. If I'm working in house, going to an office to work mm. and I don't eat before I go, then I start freaking out. Well, yeah. I don't freak out obviously, yeah. but my brain and I'm hungry, even though ordinarily I wouldn't need the food at this time. Exactly. Yeah. It's me thinking if I don't eat now, then I won't be able to eat. Yeah. I'm, I'm away from my food. Therefore, yeah. you know, the food's am there. Am I even hungry? Yeah. I don't think I am, but maybe mm. I am. I don't know. Yeah. 
Well, I have similar things. I've worked in a lot of restaurants. So, like my mother, I grew up in a pub. My mother's a chef, and so I have that sort of skill set. Nothing. I'm not a cook. I'm not a trained Gordon Ramsay esque chef. I don't swear at strangers for for money. That's not uh, that's not my thing. Not not because of food. Anyway. <laughs> no, no. <clears throat> I don't brag about the many affairs I've had. Which he says <laughs> in his book, by all accounts. I'm not read it. I don't care to. But no, I, I can do pub kitchen stuff. Like Dave's done that, hasn't he? Yeah. Like the same same jobs. Um, but I found when I was used to work in those, especially the busy pub kitchens, I used to lose a lot of weight because they just couldn't face eating anymore. I was like, there was too much food around. Okay. And it's almost like I ate through my pores. You know, it's just in the air. Like, I'm just standing over the fryers all the time. Oh, and, yeah. And I just genuinely thought, like, like, it's frantic. It's full on. Like, it was student, freshest week in a student pub, and I really, around the clock, like, I had, maybe I grabbed some chips, like, because they were there. Like, mm-hmm. I'll eat these quickly. And then, like, there was a panini going. I, I love that. That's, like, 12-hour shift. That's all I'd eat. And then the day I thought I can I can make some food. I was I genuinely can't face it. I'm not going to cook anything because I, I smell of food. I smell of deep fat and sort of cured meats and so on. And I, I just can't handle it anymore. It's interesting. You say yeah, the way you adapt to it. When I was waitressing, hmm. I used to do long shifts. We didn't really have the opportunity to sort of sit down for a meal, hmm. and it was just kind of common knowledge that you know you just sort of not eat scraps off plates, but there'd be a bowl of chips lying around somewhere or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so just kind of graze. Graze it, the yeah. Day. And then in the weeks after I left that job, I found it very difficult to sit down and eat a meal. Yeah. I couldn't eat very much in one go, but I wanted to also just be constantly nibbling on something mm. because I guess that's just what yeah. my brain had come to expect. Your body expects this like regular flow of calories, not just one lump sum. Yeah. See, we our eating patterns are so wild, man. They're they're all over the place, and like because we have, let's say, an abundance of food now. You can have whatever food you want, technically. Obviously, if you can afford it, there's plenty of people who can't afford it. But mm. we have a society whereby if you are affluent enough, you can just go. I'll eat this today. I'll have that. I'll have multiple different cuisines, especially if we live in somewhere like London, with like it's a ten on every corner. You become used to it. Become adapted to it, and then you sort of try to find new and different things and then it, you become one of those foodies which is just ter- terrible people in my experience and you become the kind of person that gives out kale crisp recipes on podcasts <laughs> yeah, randomly yeah I, I honestly was not expecting that from you but i i really appreciate it nonetheless because um, that kale is about to go off <laughs> but yeah and yeah. i guess as well a lot of it is about society uh society's sort of attitude towards like the way we work for example so once upon a time you know when we were all doing hard physical labour. Mm. We'd have our three square meals a day at set times, whereas now when we work in offices or whatever, we can just sit and nibble on wherever we want in the office. Yeah. Grazing. Exactly. And that's also like Christmas time, like you mentioned, when we sort of expect a sudden influx of rich, fatty, calorific foods. Yeah. And we sort of normally wouldn't. Like, we, we, we structure our lives around it. Like, my wife will say, oh, I'll, I want to go on a diet, but um, I'll do it next week because it's like birthday this week or something yeah. like that. Well, we we do it. It's a big part of our lives, a big part of our socialization. So, you know, there are many ways in which to be denied the the right food, and that makes us pretty much makes us angry every single time. So, so yeah. So when you can't have it, but it, it's odd how your perception of it. Because like we talked earlier on about uh, you flying from New Zealand or to New Zealand, and it's just it's so discombobulated, isn't it? The, mm-hmm. the, the sense of timing. Like you said you flew for two really long nights or something or yeah so we we left um heathrow at 10 p.m and then we the flight was 12 hours we had three hours in singapore and then we got on a plane again for 10 hours mm. and it was nighttime the entire yeah, time and it really throws you out doesn't it <laughs> yeah well i had a similar thing flying back from mexico when we first met my wife in 2008 i'll say and 
we were at Mexican airport and I was kind of hungry like so we just finished off our we weren't particularly well off or anything so we just uh, we'll have a pizza here American Domino's and it was nice but it was like our size with the Americans nearby thinking, these pizzas are tiny look at this so what are you talking about this is ridiculous but so I had most of this pizza and then flew home got in the flat at like 10 in the morning and it's like oh I'm such a it's like, I'm such a fat bastard. Because what's the matter with you? I'm, just, I'm hungry. I've just, just had a pizza. You had a pizza like 16 hours ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? I was thinking there's a brief interval of flight, which was 16 solid hours. And now I'm hung- uh, I feel guilty about being hungry despite having not eaten for like, yep. most of a day. Which yep. this is, it's just so weird how it affects you and just throws you off entirely. I, don't, I wasn't hungry. That was... Hilt? <laughs> Hunger guilt? I don't know. <laughs> Hame? Well, that's that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, on, yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit more then about what you mentioned at the beginning, gut mm. mentality. Yes, the gut-brain axis. Gut-brain axis. So what's is this simply a case of, you know, eat good nutritious food and it's good for you? Or is there more to it than that? There's a lot more to it. It's, it's really complex. Because like, when I first started doing the publicity round for the book, I got... An interview with a Marie Claire journalist who was uh, asking me about this, but she specifically wanted to know. So, what can you eat that makes you happy? Uh, and I was like, "Well, if, if you're hungry, like that, though, does it? if you're hungry, anything." Um, there is obviously a strong link between like rich, calorific foods and feelings of pleasure. Hmm. People stress eat. That's a thing. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why stress can be so physically debilitating. It's it is in it by itself anyway, but. People deal with it by eating more, drinking more, just experience a sense of relief. Yeah. Because again, your brain's hardwired to binge eat, and therefore anything with lots of calories in it tends to be, you know, trigger a pleasure response because those primitive parts of your brain go, oh, this is good. Yeah. This will keep us going for a long time. Is it still, still coming? Good, good. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's have more of that later on. <laughs> let's keep eating for six solid months until, and, and just in case a famine hits, which it doesn't so far. <laughs> but, uh, so that's, you know, so we, it gives us a sense of pleasure. But I think she was asking, what foods can you eat to make your brain constantly happy? Said, well, no, nothing. There's no actual. And even if I could give you an answer, like what works for you, it wouldn't work for anyone else. Okay. So it's a lot, it's, it's a lot more complex than straightforward. Put in stomach, goes to brain, makes you happy. Yeah. It's it's a definite thing. Like that, are, you know, what you put in your body is what the brain ends up having to be able to, to work with. So sure. if you don't eat enough of a certain mineral or nutrient which is important in neurotransmitters like you'll have less of those neurotransmitters and therefore you'll your mood will be affected mm. but it's, it's just, you're just yeah. if you eat chips all the time you're just going to feel sluggish and garbage yeah yeah, yeah. because also you don't, you don't have enough a varied diet is always important anyway we are, yeah. we are omnivores by evolutionary uh, selection but there's also the thing of it's a it's a really complex process it's not just like it's like three steps in stomach into bloodstream into brain done Mm. It's like countless different processes, like all the bacteria gets involved, all the different organs process it, all the, the liver, the hormones get involved. There's like multiple steps, like one, two, three, four, six. Eight. So it's it's really hard to link putting something in and then getting it into the brain. Mm. It's like a huge tangled web of processes between that between those steps. And, and everybody's is unique? Yeah, I think everyone has a unique biome, all the different bacteria in your gut, there's like the trillions of them. Everyone of different various. Uh, well, it's I hesitate to bring it up. Have you are you familiar with the, the poo transplants? The yeah, you heard me. So poo, I'm guessing not then from your the reaction. Poo transplants. Yeah, well, people who have like digestive Sounds problems. Sounds like a really awful band. <laughs> Could well be. <laughs> Go but, on, um, tell me. Uh, but yeah, if someone has like a intestinal problems, mm. they realise now they can take 
some fecal matter from someone else's internal system, put it in them, and they have a whole different suite of bacteria which can take can replace the existing bacterial system in that person and make them better. So wow. it is literally the shit, like this 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 therapy, which is uh, seems to be very effective. And again, it, some, some argue you can be used to treat mood stuff too, because if it's the bacteria in your body which prevents all the essential chemicals getting into your brain, yeah, then by taking in someone else's fecal matter, you can remedy that. Probably should just tack on a disclaimer here saying that I'm assuming yeah. that this procedure, however this is done, is done by highly trained yes. med- yeah, it, medical it, it, professionals. It's a surgical procedure. In, in you know, a surgical environment, it's not just somebody literally yeah. eating shit. Well, it, it, it has, well, I was going to say, it's a sterile, but it's not sterile, clearly. It's full of, it's, it's important to have bacteria involved, but it's done medically. Yeah. Don't do like a dog. Don't just find it in the street. Don't go, just, don't <laughs> just be eating it and go, oh my God, yeah. I'm having some stomach trouble. Yeah. This will help. Don't go all Alsatian on us and go, hey, <laughs> just chow down on that stuff. This this went very badly. Oh. I'm sorry for bringing this up, but it was relevant. Yeah. So that that's that that's that whole sort of area that the the the, the discipline of that in that you can treat people by giving them a whole new bacterial suite. Let's go with that then. Okay. And that sort of affects their own internal system because it's, it's frighteningly complex. I thought the fecal matter though was essentially all waste. So what benefits could mm. it bring? A uh, person's digestive system, then, in terms of nutrients or, or hmm. you know, bacteria or whatever. Hmm. I thought it was all bad stuff. Yeah, well, it's it's the bacteria that because your internal system is riddled with bacteria because that's an important part of the whole digestive process. Hmm. And when whatever someone excretes has that bacteria in it, the feces isn't sterilized before it leaves. No. <laughs> it's full of like, but like there are trillions of bacteria in your body, like more than cells, and. They're all there, and if you ha- you have some bacteria which someone else lacks, then you that's a good way to get okay. it in in the mix. Like it's not like putting like a drop like, like a drop of ink into a, a bottle of water; it just spreads out like that. Okay, but you know that's a far more hygienic image, I suppose, <laughs> than what we're talking. <laughs> Certainly about. more pleasant. It's like the yeah. blue liquid in yeah. sanitary commercial. Oh, there you go. Bring yeah. it back then. Bring it back to something a little less uh, well it's, pleasant. It's, they, yeah. You know, everybody, we, we've we universally agreed that blue is okay for yeah. some reason. So the drop of ink yeah. image is yeah. certainly more pleasant than imagining, I don't know, Oh God! I've got yeah, some really, yeah. I've got some really awful mental yeah, images yeah. of this procedure. So yeah. yeah, I will say I've I've seen a lot of women um, say rightly so that the whole completely the sanitization of sanitary towel adverts. Mm. You know, women have menstruation. That's not blue. It's ridiculous, liquid. isn't it? Yeah, but I will, I will say I totally agree with that. But then there's also this kind of argument of how often toilet paper adverts. How often do you actually see what they're used for? In, in you know, really? Well, do you know what? That's interesting because I wonder how much of this, and I could definitely go off on a wild tangent here. Feel free. But so I should carry all this. <laughs> um, toilet paper is used by everyone. Yes, you know, uh, in the Western world at least, mm. men and women, mm-hmm. men and women. Uh-huh. Right, sanitary products used by women. Yeah, men they don't they don't want to see that. No, do they? So we can all we can have these adverts and we can be like, oh, toilet paper, it's great for your bum, and look, we've got this cute bear who's doing a dance. <laughs> where you're all on board with how this is used. Yeah, fine. <laughs> women, sorry, that really me. Um, yeah. Obviously, we have our own understanding of how periods work, mm. and yeah, like as as most people listening to this podcast will know, or I, I should hope so. Mm. Um, yeah, periods are not hygienic looking. 
mm. sterile blue liquid. They're a disgusting mess. Right. Um, but we can't, as a society, face the reality of that on TV because it will upset too many people. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, I, think that, I think my point was that we are very squeamish about stuff anyway, by and large. So that also compounds the whole... Women don't do that. It's ridiculous. So let's, let's, let's pretend that doesn't happen. And that's, well, that's unhelpful. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and act actually very, very timely. Um, although by the time this goes out, it'll be old news. Yeah. But it's it's damning indictment of how little men understand about women's periods. Um, there was a, a thing doing a viral rounds the other day, um, presumably on an article or something talking about sanitary protection for women and yeah. uh, the cost of it. Mm. And some guy, I don't know if you saw this. Oh, yeah, go on. Basically, yeah. I don't know, Googled like the average amount of blood <laughs> in a period yeah. and then went, okay, so it's this much and this is how much a tampon can absorb. So you only need nine tampons <laughs> per whole period and no, seven tampons per period and then you get nine periods a year. <laughs> That's what I would have thought, nine? <laughs> where where then, did I come from? <laughs> and you can go to Costco and you can bulk buy all the tampons you need, which only cost £20. I don't know what you're complaining about. And obviously, yeah. there was universal outcry, <laughs> and honestly, you could you could hear half of the world laughing. Mm. It's baffling to me <laughs> that a, so... a grown human male <laughs> yeah. thinks this. Yeah, but the Guardian covered it. it was so it really broke through the mainstream. But again, I think everyone's like, it, there was a lot to work with there. The, the fact of. You only have nine. What do you mean nine? Period, where do you get nine from? For the start, where, where did that calculation factor? Did he did he divide like three hundred and sixty four by twenty eight? Oh no! Is he? I, I thought is he going by the moon or something? I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know. These ridiculous. If you all get together, you'll sync up as well. So you can share them, and that that's he didn't say that, but he was <laughs> no. only, he didn't say it. But it was only like, it was like a short hop from yeah. What he said to that or sort of thing. If we find it that problematic, why don't we just cross our legs? Just yeah. hold it in. Yeah, because but. I, I do find it fascinating and hilarious. Uh, obviously, I'm a, I would say I would say I'm a feminist. If that, if anyone asked, I don't use a label myself. I don't think it's mine to claim. But, but it's um, yeah. Well, like whenever some some guy mentions something along these lines and then gets completely roasted by not even thinking about that, it's like the famous senator or something in America or some high profile guy. Oh, I got no in the shower. It's really weird looking down and seeing blood. <laughs> like, oh. like, later on, oh my god, the, the women in my mentions. Oh Jesus! Yep, yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, or there was the guy recently that was trying to mansplain to a woman yeah. the difference between no, he was trying to maintain that the sort of external area of a woman's body yeah. is the vagina, right? And this woman quite correctly uh, corrected him and said, yeah. "No, it's actually the vulva," and he would not let it go. Yeah. He would <laughs> <Sorry>. not <laughs> let it go. Just couple, unwise. <laughs> well, actually, a proper well, actually moment. Well, actually, and then came up with all of this bollocks trying to justify his position, and the whole world was piling mm. on him, and he would not yeah. quit. Wasn't he? Was it Doctor Gunter? Wasn't it Doctor Jen Gunter, the the famous gynecologist who he was arguing with as well? I think uh, she was, yes, she was. Yeah. Uh, no, it, she, she knows what she's talking about. In, I mean, yeah, I mean, firstly, in the most she's vivid specialist possible in her way. field, but yeah. secondly, she's a woman. She's got one. She yeah. knows. Anyway, yeah. wow. Yeah, that went for a really weird direction from from hangry. And, well, and yeah. curiously, that's that's exactly the sort of mm. shit that I see on a daily basis. That is likely yeah. to cause me to tip over the edge if my blood sugar level yeah. is low. And also, we've kind of sort of created a bit of paradox here that we've. 
like Tom, we've literally put people off their food at this point. So <laughs> yeah. we've got a catch twenty two. You're hangry, but you cannot eat right now. So no, we've we've yeah. talked about all of the best bodily functions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we left some out. <laughs> we saved some for further on the line. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your insight, Dean. I'm going to go and get a sandwich. Yes. I'm going to not get a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak to you later. Thanks a lot. If you'd like to read the Brainy Appin blogs, go to cosmicshambles.com forward slash blogs, where you'll find Brainy Appin plus lots of other exclusive science blogs from the likes of Helen Chesky, John Butterworth, Susie Gage, Ginny Smith, and others. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it on social media. Give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, as that does really help us out. If you'd like to support the show and everything we make at Cosmic Shambles, you can pledge via Patreon for as little as $1 a month. There's lots of great reward tiers available too. Go to patreon.com forward slash bookshambles or follow the links from cosmicshambles.com. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.